Welcome back to the Institute of World Mission podcast. I'm your host, Alex Ott. I personally believe this moment in history is very challenging for Christian missionaries in general and for Adventist missionaries in particular. The pandemic, which is not over, created a set of new challenges. It's added to the strain of adjusting to another cultural environment, and we have to go through that. It's added to the need to fit in and help build a ministry and a cross-cultural team. Well, these tasks by themselves are really hard. And by themselves, they are a major strain on a missionary's mental health. Now, the pandemic made things only worse. Many worries are added to the picture. We worry for our immediate family in the field. We worry for our extended family back home. We worry for the many crises and challenges in our host community as well as back in our home country. We are stressed about being sick or the possibility to get sick. We are pressured because we might be lonely, frustrated, discouraged. Yet, it is possible to take steps toward maintaining and even enhancing our mental health, even in the midst of a pandemic. Dr. Anne Hamill has taken many steps to help our community to cope with challenges. As you know, Dr. Hamill is the psychologist and caregiver with the ISC support team of the General Conference. In today's talk that Dr. Hamill recorded specifically for the IWM podcast, she unpacks missionary mental health for us. Let's invite Dr. Hamill to this audio stage, so to say. Welcome to the Institute of World Mission Weekly Podcast, a show for Adventist mission enthusiasts striving to live, serve, and witness cross-culturally. Visit us at iwm.adventist.org slash podcast to view this podcast's show notes, links, and previous episodes. Institute of World Mission is your partner in the mission field. Hello. It's always a pleasure for me to be able to talk with missionaries. Over the past couple of years, I've presented on several topics related to missionary mental health. This past year, the pandemic has brought some unique challenges. In some ways, missionaries have been better equipped than others to deal with many of these challenges. The pandemic has been especially hard for teens and young adults. They are in a stage of life where social connections are vital. Last year, as schools closed and went virtual, many teens struggled with what was happening. Our oldest granddaughter wrote a song about her disappointment. Putting her feelings to music helped her cope. Her song touched a chord with many teens and young people. Together, she and I did a presentation for Hope Channel, which is now on Workplace, where she shared her song and we talked about steps that can help teens face the disappointments in their lives, steps that can help foster resiliency. If you have teens and you haven't watched the program, I think you might find it helpful. But today, I want us to take a step, and rather than focus on challenges and how to deal with them, I want us to take a closer look at what we mean when we talk about mental health. What exactly is mental health, and what steps can we take to both maintain and enhance it. Before we attempt to answer these questions, I think it's important for us to recognize that there is both a physical or biological component to mental health. 
as well as a metaphysical or psychological component. The brain and the nervous system provide the physical basis for our mental and emotional functioning. While human beings have proportionately larger brains than other animals, our brains are the least developed organ in the body at the time of birth. In the first year of life, an infant's brain grows from about 400 grams to approximately 1,000 grams, two and a half times greater than its original size. Neuroscientists tell us that the human brain needs considerable stimulation in the first weeks, months, and years of a child's life in order to grow and develop normally. Having a basic understanding of how the brain is organized and how it functions, I believe, is very helpful in understanding how to foster and promote optimal mental and emotional health. The brain itself is organized both laterally and vertically. Many people are familiar with the concept of the lateral organization of the brain, of the left brain and right brain. If a person is left brain dominant, they are thought to be more logical, analytical, and objective. If a person is right brain dominant, they are thought to be more intuitive, creative, and subjective. Right-brained people also tend to be more relational. Neuroscientists have identified three main regions, the brainstem, the limbic system or midbrain, and the cerebral cortex. The brainstem is at the base of the brain and is the part of the brain that directly connects with the spinal cord. It acts as the control center for the automatic and involuntary functions of the body, things such as heart rate, breathing, sleeping, and other bodily functions. The brainstem is the part of the brain that is the most fully developed at birth. Its development is essential for life. The structures that make up what is known as the emotional brain, or the limbic system, are buried deep within the brain. This part of the brain is known as the midbrain. The capacity to develop emotional attachments, to feel love, and to experience other emotions all occur in the limbic system. The nuclei of the limbic system are underdeveloped at birth. During the first year of life, the brain cells of the limbic system grow and develop around experience, especially the emotional experience between an infant and its caregiver, typically its mother. Healthy bonding and attachment with the mother and other caregivers is crucial to the healthy development of the emotional brain or limbic system. Neuroscientists tell us that the quality and nature of our early relationships are actually translated into neural codes that form the physical infrastructure of the brain. The nature and quality of a child's early attachments lay the foundation not only for personality development, but for the development of what is known as the brain's stress response system. The ability to deal effectively with stress, or not, is actually biologically programmed into the brain. Children who are raised in environments where the caregivers fail to adequately meet their needs for attachment and security risk growing into adults who lack resilience. 
these deficits can have a lasting neurobiological impact, resulting in mental and emotional health challenges throughout life. The thinking brain, or the cerebral cortex, is the least developed part of the brain at birth. The cerebral cortex forms the outermost layer of the brain and is associated with our highest mental capabilities. It is also the part of the brain that is unique to human beings. It is responsible for language, logic, perspective-taking, consciousness, and the sense of self. During the early years of life, a child absorbs the worldview and the culture of the family they are born into. These templates lay the foundation for so much of how life is understood and interpreted. Nonetheless, the cerebral cortex is not ready for active school-related learning until it reaches sufficient maturity, which is typically around the age of seven. Although the brain continues to grow and to learn throughout the lifespan and is capable of rewiring itself based on new experiences or new insights, the older an individual is, the more time it takes to acquire new knowledge or skills. Things like culture and worldview and even language are encoded at an early age into the structure of the brain and are resistant to change or modification. Psalms 139.14 says, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Christian psychiatrist Dr. Timothy Jennings says in his book, The God-Shaped Brain, that the human brain is truly the most sophisticated, elegant, biological piece of machinery ever known. As we contemplate how our brains and how our nervous systems are designed and how they function, we can certainly say with the psalmist, I praise you, O Lord, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The Bible also tells us in 1 Corinthians 3.16 that our bodies are the temple and that the Spirit of God dwells within us. Our brains are the means through which God communicates with us. We have a responsibility to care for our bodies and for our brains. Caring for the health of our brain and nervous system is an important aspect of caring for our mental health. What we eat, when we eat, how much we eat, all impact how our brain functions. Stimulants or other substances certainly impact the functioning of the brain. Whether or not we have regular and adequate sleep impacts how the brain works. Exercise is also very important to ensure the healthy functioning of the brain. But just as important as what we eat, how much we sleep, or whether we exercise is on our mental health, is the nature and quality of our relationships. Do we have people in our lives that we can count on for support when we need it? Are there people in our lives with whom we can celebrate victories or accomplishments? Are there people in our lives that we simply enjoy spending time with? The interactions that we have with people on a day-to-day basis continue to shape and mold our brains. Psychologists recognize three primary components to mental health. A cognitive component, an emotional component, and a behavioral component. 
These three components correspond in a general sense with the three sections of the brain. The cognitive component with the cerebral cortex, the emotional component with the limbic system or the emotional brain, and the behavioral component with the brain stem. Let's begin with the cognitive component. The cerebral cortex is often called the thinking brain. While diagnosable thought disorders are uncommon, many people have unhealthy thoughts and beliefs that interfere with the quality of life. Let's begin with the cognitive component. The cerebral cortex is often called the thinking brain. While diagnosable thought disorders are uncommon, many people have unhealthy thoughts and beliefs that interfere with their quality of life and their relationships with other people. Yet, it's very difficult for individuals to recognize in themselves that their way of thinking is unhealthy. Most dysfunctional or unhealthy thoughts relate to how we view ourselves or how we view others. They can also relate to how we view our our circumstances. People with unhealthy thoughts about themselves typically either undervalue themselves, which results in low self-esteem or poor sense of self-worth, or they overvalue themselves, resulting in a false sense of pride or narcissism. Either way, it interferes with how they relate to other people and with their own sense of well-being. The scriptures provide us with a healthy template of how we should view both ourselves and others. The Bible tells us that we are created in the image of God. It also tells us that God so loved the world and each one of us that he gave his only son so that we might live with him forever. God sees us as having infinite worth. While it's important to recognize our value and our worth, Jesus also said that unless we become like little children, we will never inherit the kingdom of heaven. We are to be humble and teachable, and our hearts are to remain open and trusting. Psychotherapy, particularly cognitive therapy, helps people deal with unhealthy thoughts and beliefs. So does a daily walk with the Lord and fellowship with fellow believers. When we think about disorders of emotions, we think of disorders that cause profound sadness or depressive disorders. Or we think of fear, which results in anxiety disorders. Both depression and anxiety are common disorders that ordinary people deal with from time to time. Disordered or dysfunctional thinking typically goes along with disordered emotions. While the limbic system is known as the emotional brain, both the brain and the nervous system produce neurotransmitters that allow us to feel and experience our emotions. Neuroscientists tell us that the receptors for those neurotransmitters are located throughout our bodies, with high concentrations of receptors located in the heart, the stomach, and the gut. That's why people often speak of the heart as being the seat of emotions. You've heard the expressions, I am broken hearted, or my heart is overjoyed. You've also heard expressions like, I have this knot in the pit of my stomach, or that makes me sick to my stomach, or I have this gut 
feeling. We feel strong emotions physically. While it's true that our thoughts impact our emotions, one cannot reason or talk someone out of depression or anxiety. Psychotherapy is effective in treating anxiety or depression when it creates an experience of feeling heard and understood, a relational experience that activates the emotional centers of the brain. Effectiveness is less about information and more about the quality and nature of the relationship. A therapist must listen attentively and connect with a patient, which is a right-brained limbic system activity. Healthy relationships of all types can counter the negative impact of a previous negative experience and begin the process of rewiring the brain. Encouraging and fostering healthy relationships is essential to having good mental and emotional health. The church and the fellowship of believers is God's plan, and the love and care they provide for each other is God's intended method of keeping us healthy physically, mentally, and spiritually. Behavioral disorders, such as addictions of various kinds, impulsive behaviors, and various compulsions are also common among ordinary people like you and me. Addictions may range from alcohol, drugs, and tobacco to pornography, video games, and social media. This distinction between use, abuse, and addiction is not always clear. Impulsive and are compulsive disorders behaviors range from eating disorders to compulsive hand washing, hair pulling, and nail biting. Most people don't think of nail biting as a disorder because it's often common, especially in childhood. Whether something is just a bad habit or a disorder is not always easy to determine. Compulsive hair pulling, known as trichotillomania, on the other hand, is considered a disorder particularly when it results in baldness or patches of baldness. Often these dysfunctional and maladaptive behaviors have their roots in childhood trauma or early family dysfunctions and sometimes poor choices made later in life. Too often individuals try to overcome these behaviors through self-discipline or willpower, but this is usually not successful. Many behaviors such as these have become automatic and instinctual, much like other more functional behaviors that are controlled by the brainstem and the autonomic nervous system. For most people, the root cause of these dysfunctional behaviors remains outside their conscious awareness, making it extremely difficult, if not impossible, to change or overcome them on your own. The cognitive, emotional, and behavioral components of mental health are all interconnected, yet understanding their connection to the brain and the nervous system is important in maximizing mental and emotional health. Mental health can be defined as the optimal functioning of the brain and the nervous system in such a way that an individual is able to deal with the normal and typical challenges of life in an effective way. It results in a clear and accurate perception of reality, along with mastery over one's behavior, as well as a sense of peace and well-being. 
although the physical structure of your brain and my brain has been shaped by early life experiences, our brains continue to adapt and to be modified by subsequent life experiences. The more emotionally salient and the more meaningful those experiences, the greater the impact. The most important things to remember about maximizing mental health is that first, it's important to take steps to keep the brain and the nervous system healthy through a healthy diet, regular exercise, regular and adequate sleep, along with other healthy lifestyle practices. Second, and equally important, we must take active steps to create healthy relationships in our current lives, regardless of our backgrounds, regardless of previous life experiences. Our brains continue to adapt and to change based on current life experiences. For our own well-being and the well-being of others, we must invest in the people around us. We all need a support system that we can count on in times of need. We must also be available and supportive of others. God created us as social creatures. We are wired to connect with others. We need each other to be physically, emotionally, and spiritually healthy. Third, and also equally important, we must spend time daily cultivating healthy thoughts. Reflect on the blessings in your life. Surrender your circumstances and the various challenges you are facing to God. Practice acceptance. Practice forgiveness. Make a conscious choice to let go of resentments and bitterness. And number four, do your best to ensure that you have a healthy view of who God is, one that is grounded in the scriptures. The Bible tells us that God is love. That is the lens through which we are to filter any view of God that we might have. It is important that we spend time contemplating God's goodness and his love on a regular basis. Neuroscientist Dr. Andrew Newberg of the University of Pennsylvania has documented that all forms of of uh, contemplative meditation are associated with positive change and growth in the brain. But the most positive changes occur when we meditate specifically on a God of love. And the fifth and closely related next step is once we have a right view of God and we spend time meditating and worshiping Him, it is our privilege to actually get to know Him, to be in relationship with Him. Our God is not only transcendent and higher than our highest thoughts, He is Emmanuel, God with us. He invites us to be in a personal relationship with Him, to walk and to talk with Him daily. All healthy relationships have a healing impact, but our God is the ultimate healer. In concluding, I want to point out that regardless of how healthy our lifestyle is and how healthy our choices might be, or even how perfect our childhood might have been, we still live in a fallen and sinful world. We are all subject to death and the diseases and maladies that accompany it, physically, mentally, and spiritually. 
If you are struggling with a mental or emotional health issue or with dysfunctional behaviors, regardless of their root cause, seek help. We all need other people. God created us to be socially interdependent beings and to find healing and wholeness in community. God's plan is that His church, the body of Christ, and the fellowship of believers is to be a place of healing and wholeness. He said that we are to love one another as He loved us. Depending on how serious the issue you might be facing is, you might choose, depending on how serious the issue you might be dealing with is, you might choose to talk to a trusted friend, to seek the support of a pastor or a spiritual mentor, or to contact a professional. Our team, the ISC support team here at the General Conference, is here to support you. Feel free to contact any one of us and ask for help if you need it. May God bless each one of you. In the beginning of her talk, Dr. Hamill mentioned a number of previous episodes, presentations she did. As our listener, we try to make all related resources completely available to you. Marcos Lopez, who is assisting with this podcast, does a fantastic job making sure you have all related links in the show notes. It's your turn now. Think of someone that you could share this episode with. Click the share button in your browser or in the respective podcasting app that you're using right now. Send it on. It will be a blessing and encouragement. And you helped to make it happen. This is part of our ministry, isn't it? My name is Alex Ott and I'm looking forward to seeing you next week.